this this one gay, gay person actually was like, I can't believe you're saying this. The Bible is like so clearly not anti-gay, but it's definitely anti-polyamory. And I was like, I, what? You're listening to Let's Be Omnist, the show where we are celebrating spiritual diversity, one truth and one story at a time. I'm your host, Michael Anthony, spiritual life coach and intuitive reader from thedivinerlife.com. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode. You are listening to season two, episode 20, which means that season two is quickly coming to a close. This season will have a total of 22 episodes before I take a quick break and then we will dive into season three. With that said, it is time for you to tell me who you wanna hear in season three. What topics of spirituality interest you? Who do you know that has an inspiring and curious story to tell? Let me know what you're looking forward to in season three so that I can do my best to make it happen. But back to today's episode. You're about to hear my conversation with Brian G. Murphy, from queertheology.com. And Brian is going to share with us how he is navigating both the worlds of Christianity and gay polyamorous relationships. Brian G. Murphy is an activist, educator, and certified relationship coach. He grew up evangelical Christian in the Maryland suburbs of Washington, DC, and for the past decade has been engaged in faith-based activism and social justice work. He participated in the 2007 Soul Force Equality Ride, co-founded Legalize Trans, and most recently partnered with Father Shannon Kearns to create Queer Theology. He has spoken about faith, sexuality, gender, and justice at dozens of colleges and conferences across the USA. In addition to being open and polyamorous for the last eight years, Brian has also worked with other LGBTQ and straight cisgender Christians to navigate their relationships in healthy and faithful ways from celibate to monogamous to polyamorous and all points in between. Now go ahead and grab yourself a cup of tea, a cup of coffee, a cup of whatever you'd like, because in the spirit of truth and honesty, here is my conversation with Brian G. Murphy. So welcome, Brian, to Let's Be Omnist. I am so excited to have you here. How are you doing today? I am doing swell. It's a bright and sunny day here in Los Angeles, and I'm really excited to talk to you. So thanks for having me on here. Of course. I already shared your professional bio with everybody, so they know kind of the ins and outs of what you do. But I would love for them to hear from you what you do. So tell us who you are, what you do, what's your thing. Sure. So um, my short and snappy thing is that I'm a queer theologian and a relationship coach. And most people know what a relationship coach is these days, actually. Uh, but get tripped up on queer theologian and usually either know what queer means or what theologian means. So I always have to find a way to sort of parse out, like, which of those two words do you not, <laughs> do you not quite understand? Um, but basically what I do is working with uh, LGBTQ folks and straight cisgender supporters to reclaim their spirituality, to hear from religious trauma, in particular um, Christian-based trauma and shame, and to find queerness in Christianity and to find the ways in which um, like queerness is also uh, like a holy and sacred experience and that we can be sort of integrated whole people and that like our queerness and our sexuality and our gender and our bodies isn't something like separate from like goodness. It's sort of like at the heart of it all. Mm, that is a word. I'm already uh, done. That was a perfect <laughs> episode. Thank you so much. Um, 
I love that you pointed out that people either know like queer or they know theologian. Mm-hmm. And I almost imagine that the people who know theologian kind of like wince a little bit when they say <laughs> queer because that's that word that people are like, are we using that word now? Is it okay to say that? Yeah. Um, so I imagine people that are familiar with the word theologian are usually the ones to be like, oh, you're I had a re- <laughs> Yeah. I had a really interesting uh, conversation with a cab driver on the way to the airport who definitely knew what theologian was and had like grown up going to a Jesuit school and had some really interesting questions about queerness that made me bristle at first. But then by the end of the cab ride, he was like, oh yeah, I can totally see this and like connections between like all sorts of different things and like realizing the ways in which um, like mainstream narratives about queerness are sometimes crafted to make you like prejudiced against queer people. So he was like breaking down assumptions and biases. And I was like, oh yeah, this is awesome. He just had a breakthrough in that ride. Yeah, exactly. I was like, this is, this is what I do. (laughs) So um, yeah, so sometimes the, the people who I expect to be uh, a little bristly at first end up having some breakthroughs in the end. I love that. I um before I dive into any more questions because I have so many that are already bubbling up. Um yeah. I want to give people a chance to get you know, get to know you a little bit better. Sure. So we're going to play a quick game of two truths and a lie whenever you're ready. I'm ready. Okay, cool. So name two truths, one lie and I will do my best to figure it out. Okay, my two truths are um I have a tattoo. I am really into football and I've been arrested. Wow. Could you be any more generic about any of these? Um, <laughs> no <laughs> details. You make it super difficult. Uh, I'm going to say that your lie is you have a tattoo. No, I have a tattoo. Okay. I was like, that's the one. Oh, <laughs> and you know what? I even messaged you on Instagram and asked you about your oh, tattoo. Oh, yeah, you have asked about it. <laughs> that is so embarrassing. All right. Yeah, so my, your lie is? My lie is that I have not actually been arrested. Um, okay. I, I did a lot of, um, like, nonviolent direct action activism in my 20s. And so most of my friends <laughs> have been arrested. But I was always, like, the video guy or the photography guy who would go with them, but just, like, tell the police, like, oh, no, don't arrest me. And they would listen to me most of the time. <laughs> Sometimes I would have to run away. Um, so people, like, know that about me so often think that that is a truth. But I, I just skirted away from it um, but yeah. my tattoo says um agape in greek which is one of the words for love and it's a reminder to like do love in the world i love that so much i i reached out to you about your tattoo and now i'm just so embarrassed that i knew you had a tattoo <laughs> and i was still like that's a lie it's gotta be because it's the most expected um i reached out to you about it because i originally thought it was hebrew because i have hebrew on my mm-hmm. wrists um and i was like ooh this seems like it's going to have some super deep spiritual meaning um i know what agape means but can you just like explain that a little bit for people sure in greek there's um like four words for love and three that are the most popular so like philios like brotherly love philadelphia eros sort of erotic love and then agape which is um sort of like a self-sacrificing type of love and in the Christian Bible, in the original Greek, like the phrase God is love, it's this word for love, sort of agape. And when I was younger, I used to want like a Jesus fish tattoo, which for those of you who don't know, is this like symbol that Christians use to identify themselves that 
there's all sorts of stories about where it came from, but Christians use it. Um, and you might have seen it on bumper stickers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, um, and, and I, then I, when it was time to get a tattoo, I thought, you know, I, I think that the message that a Jesus fish sends to the world is not the message <laughs> that I want to be putting out to the world. And I also want a tattoo that I think will still be meaningful to me if I'm ever not a Christian. And so I went with agape and um, I love that now still. So that's the story behind that. And it's, it's a reminder to sort of like do sex, like self-sacrificing love into the world. Hmm. I really like that. The part that stood out to me the most is that you said, I want to get a tattoo that I'll still like if I'm not a Christian anymore, which is a heavy phrase, I think, for some people. Uh, is that like a real thought that went through your mind at some point? Like, is this truly where I want to be? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so I got this tattoo like a year after I graduated from college. And so, you know, I did a lot of, you know, college is a lot of growing up. And so I, I don't think I quite settled into anything at that time. and how I identify religiously has always sort of been, or, or uh, my, sort of my post-college life has been this sort of ongoing question. And even after starting GreatTheology.com with my, my friend and business partner, Shay, I'm constantly like, are you sure I'm a Christian? <laughs> um, and I, so I'm, like, I'm pretty open that I like don't, I'm like an atheist in a lot of ways, that there's like not a God like out there that's like looking in or meddling. Um, and I don't think I knew that when I got this tattoo, but I was definitely sort of like still in the questions in the thick of it. I'm like, what do I really believe in? What is truth? And so this is a, an, like a, an idea that fits in with sort of my current worldview and spiritual outlook. And I think, I hope will always uh, fit in with me regardless of what I, you know, where I land on questions of the divine or about a particular religion. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Not to, uh, you know, uh, drag on about your tattoo too much. I didn't mean to. Uh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I just love, I'm always like, what's the story? And then some people yeah. are like, it's a tattoo. And what? Like, okay. <laughs> no, I've got a lot of stories. <laughs> yeah. So tell me, um, I know today you identify as a queer theologian. You know, you are currently the host of um, Queer Theology. So you're very involved in the Christian community. But where does your spiritual journey really start? Like, take me back to early Brian. Where did it all begin for you? Oh, goodness. So I grew up um, in the D.C. suburbs of Maryland, and I attend, I grew up going to an evangelical Presbyterian church. So it was sort of the best and the worst <laughs> of all of it. So, you know, evangelical, so it was like very fun, and the youth group was like, had a lot of games and emphasis on like bringing your friends and like it was just like cool and fun but also like Presbyterian so like double predestination like God chooses like some people to be saved and some people to be damned and we're sort of like inherently depraved and all of that Mm. sort of jazz Um, and my parents so my parents met um, on the way to summer camp in high school at this thing called Young Life which is this like Christian organization that like sets out to convert people and so I guess it worked on them they like got converted to evangelical Christianity um and so they like met at Christian summer camp and had me and they were I think it's weird now being an adult because they were like oh we didn't realize the church was so terrible we just like asked our friends for a church with a good youth group and they suggested that so we went there 
And I think they were less invested in it than I was because they had like grown up either like, I think my mom grew up non-religious and my dad grew up just sort of like mainline Methodist, sort of like generically the way like lots of Americans were religious in like the the 50s and 60s, right? And so I I was all I had ever known. So I went like super deep evangelical, like get saved, try to get my friends to get saved. Like one year I got in trouble and I like my punishment was I wasn't allowed to go to like the church retreat. <laughs> like, oh. like, cause I was just like all in. Um, and then at some point I started to realize that I liked boys and didn't quite know what to do with that because I had heard that homosexuality was a sin. And so I was like, well, people keep saying that, but that just like doesn't make any sense. So like, let me look it up in the Bible. And I like opened up my teen study Bible and I like flipped to the back and looked up homosexuality. And then I like turned to the first page that it referenced. Um, And it wasn't actually like a Bible verse. They would have these like little lesson boxes in the teen study Bibles. And so it was like about how, about how like homosexuality was wrong. And I was like, huh, that's like so strange. Like, well, I mean, look at the next one. Like clearly the next one will be different because this like this just doesn't make sense and so then the next one was about like aids and how like aids was a punishment for for, for like gay for gay sex. where did you so just, buy this teen bible i don't i just got it at church they just tell you terrible things i still have it i, I kept it apparently <laughs> but so i went through like all of these like six different things in the index each time thinking like well maybe this next one will tell me something different because it just like didn't make sense how this like thing that was a part of me could be wrong. And so I got, I went through all six of them. They all said the same thing. And so then I was like, okay, well, I'm not done here. <laughs> uh, and so that just sort of kicked off my, like, probably for all of high school, trying to figure it out, like, is this okay? What am I doing? Is this a sin? Um, and at some point in my junior year of high school, I, I like just like had a really intense crush or, you know, fell in love with my, my male best friend. And then at some point it clicked from like, oh, it's not that I'm like looking at porn, like gay porn. I'm like, that's a sin that I could like do or not do. This is just sort of like who I am and who I love and how I like want to form relationships and community and family. And that felt to me like so much more clearly like, well, this has got to be okay because like, I like know that this feeling that I'm feeling for Robbie like comes from a good place and like, so then what? And so I just, when I went to college, just sort of like put, put Christianity on pause and came out and like made a lot of gay friends and got drunk and had gay <laughs> sex and uh, was sort of like, I'll figure this out eventually. And part of my process for figuring that out was I did this, this uh, at, I graduated this semester early in what would have been my last semester, did this cross-country uh, queer social justice activism thing going to anti-queer colleges and universities to be like yo this shit is fucked up let's talk about it and some of them were like sure come on we'll have like panel discussions and group presentations and we'll eat lunch together and some of them were like absolutely not this is a property line if you come over it we're gonna arrest you so we would do that and then like people would get arrested but it would like in that sort of direct action would spark like conversation students would like see their see people getting arrested and come out of the buildings and start talking to us and it's really became this sort of moment to have to spark dialogue where there was none before so I did that for a few months and that was when it sort of all changed for me of like I would all these like stories that I grew up hearing about Jesus or Christianity sort of became real and I like understood what it meant to like 
offer your body as a living sacrifice because of like my like body was like literally on a picket line or like what it means to have like of like faith that is like put into action and like you have to like believe in this like bigger thing that's like go out and do it um and that for me was like this huge turning point of like whether you call it religion or spirituality or your values like can't just be for me at least can't just be like things in my head but they need to be like embodied um and i found in christianity or like i rediscovered this like this version of christianity that i had that I had somehow missed growing up that was like very embodied um, and concerned with like the here and the now. And I just thought it was like a cool legacy. And um, we worked with some folks who had been on like the freedom rides um, during like the, the racial civil rights movement. And so like seeing how like Christianity intersected with, like, with their movement and learning from them was like this like, really cool experience and like, learning their like rich legacy of like radical, progressive, liberatory Christianity. I was like, oh, I, like, I want to do more of this. And so I, I like set out to, to, to first teach myself and then um, to, to like spread that sort of the good news of the queer gospel to others. So that's like, I think here we are. <laughs> yeah, that's, you've experienced so many, um, what I would call like profound moments where it sounds like you didn't just believe in something. You were like, you know what, not only do I believe in this, but I'm going to go out and I'm going to make sure other people hear me say that I believe in it. So I love that you're using your voice and you're like active in your community. Yeah, I do. I do sometimes think like my, like I'm, I'm still sort of like that, that same sort of evangelical spark from my childhood is alive, just like for a different message now. Yeah. It's almost like they, uh, they trained you up to be a good old Christian soldier. And then you were like, ha, I'm jumping. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I do, I do also feel that, like, that Christianity is sort of, like, the waters that I swim in are sort of, like, the legacy that I come from, and so it's done a lot of harm in the world, and so I think that, like, part of my work is to sort of, like, undo some of that damage, um, and also to let people know that it's okay, like, if Christianity doesn't, re- like, doesn't resonate with you, or it's, like, done too much harm in your own life, and it's, like, not eating you, you don't have to be you don't have to be mm. Christian to be a good person or to like find meaning in the world or to like prove that queer people can be Christian. So part of my work is also helping queer, <laughs> queer Christians like stop being Christian also. Um, like, so it's, it's like, it's like a, a both ways of like, there's something really powerful here if you want it. And also if you don't like, that's cool too. We're not those types of Christians that are like, this is the only way. Yeah. And I think that's super important. I um I want to go back to something that you had mentioned in your story where you were talking about like, is it okay to be gay? You were really struggling with like, is this a sin? Is it not a sin? Because it's so interesting to me to look at you now and see all of the work that you're doing in the world and be like, yeah, okay. Obviously he struggled with the normal struggles of being a queer person and um, figuring out what you do and don't want. And then to turn around and see you making YouTube videos like Jesus is polyamorous. <laughs> which I know was like a big deal a couple years ago. And yeah. hearing you talk about like, I found God in hookups or like all of these interesting, blatantly sexual conversations. Um, yeah. <laughs> you've totally taken like a 180 from that moment. How did that happen? Like, how did you get there? Um, I think to paraphrase Art John Green, like slowly and then like all at once. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that as I like set out to 
reconcile, like, is it okay to be queer? At like, my journey was to both like look inside of myself and sort of like really get to know myself. So I did a lot of like journaling and meditation and then also like, like prolifically reading like anything I could get my hands on. And then like, for me, it wasn't just enough to be like, this is why like those seven passages don't like mean what people have said they mean. So like, for those of you who aren't aware, there's like seven passages in the Hebrew and Christian Bibles that people often turn to to say like, this is why like homosexuality is a sin. And I just know for me growing up that like all of the explanations for them, it, were, it just was like kind of like rang hollow or it like wasn't enough that I found myself, I've described it as like being stuck on this hamster wheel of like, so this is why people say those passages are anti-gay. And then I would like read some article that was like, here's why those, like that interpretation is wrong. And they're like, not actually anti-gay. And then I would like read another article that was like, here's why the pro-gay is wrong and the anti-gay is actually correct. And it just was like mm. this like never ending cycle of like the next article and the next rebuttal and the next rebuttal. And it's all just sort of like debating ancient Hebrew that isn't even like Hebrew that's like spoken today and ancient Greek and words that didn't exist anywhere else besides in the Bible. And it's just like so like arcane and ridiculous and I could never find a satisfactory answer for it and it was like it was it was being on the equality right and like meeting queer people who were like queer and Christian and sexual also who were like atheist or, or vegan or Buddhist and like seeing these like values that I grew up believing in reflected in other people and in other places that I that I didn't expect them and so like going out and like looking for those connections and like discovering the ways in which like Christianity has always been queer and the ways in which like queerness can be informed by Christianity was like so much more like liberating for me. And so then for me, it was this process of like, well, where are the like, where are the spots that need healing <laughs> in my life? And being like, oh, I have some like, shame around whatever it is like sex or polyamory or 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 bottoming or who like who knows what it could be and like looking to say like well like what what are the stories that I've been told about this about queerness or about sex negativity or whatever it might be and then like how can I like write new stories to tell a different message because it's like one thing to try and like debate someone into feeling mm. better but like <laughs> that usually doesn't work but stories are just so powerful. And so I found that by like, by sort of like synthesizing my experiences, like into sort of like story form, um, I was able to like heal myself. And then at some point I was like, oh, well, this has been helpful for me. Maybe I should share it <laughs> with other people. Uh, and I remember the first time we were on a, so we started talking about sex and, and, well, we started talking about purity culture because that felt like safe. And then we started being like more explicit talking about sex. And at some point on a, like a webinar online workshop about sex, I like mentioned that I was polyamorous and like the chat box just like blew up like, oh my God, me too. Or like, I've never like heard another Christian say that or like, oh my, and just like so many people. And then they're like, oh my God, I can't believe there's like so many of us on this call. And so I was just like, okay, like I have to, I have to start talking about this because it's like a word that people need to hear. And I probably like stressed about it for two years and figured out like, what is it that I would say until 
eventually I made this video called Jesus is Polyamorous and burned the Christian internet down. <laughs> yeah, I imagine. It was actually uh, funny. I always kind of like, I chat with my parents a lot every day. And um, my dad is always super curious about like who I'm talking to and who's going to be on the show. And I was like, hey, I'm actually talking to someone today about um, polyamory and Christianity. And he got like really serious and was like, that sounds so interesting. <laughs> and I was like, what? And he was like, I really, I need to listen to that episode. Because I almost like, uh, I, the reason I'm telling you is because I imagined he was one of those people that would probably stumble across your YouTube video for like all the wrong reasons. And then, like, <laughs> oh, whoa, that's really cool. Like, that's a great way to explain that. Um, I imagine that you had some like both good and bad feedback, but. Yeah, it wasn't, I mean, there was a, a deluge of hateful comments and death threats, but in the midst of all of that, just like it was like a really wonderful experience to, of people seeing themselves and feeling validated and, and non-poly people being like, oh, I never thought about that, that about it in this way. This, like, this is so useful or um, wanting to learn more about how they can support the, the polyamorous or the non-monogamous people in their lives. And so like, I would, it was terrible <laughs> for a few weeks there, but I would absolutely do it all over again. So I am super familiar with um, the passages that you mentioned earlier, like the clever passages of, you know, being queer is wrong. It's a sin. Mm -hmm. But I'm curious, are there similar uh, like verses that you now get that you're openly polyamorous and uh, you like discuss that? Are people constantly like, hey, by the way, the Bible says this is a problem? No. Because the Bible is just not, like, anti-non-monogamy. I actually, so, like, there's lots of examples of non-monogamy in the Bible. And it's obviously, like, it's, you want to be careful about looking back at ancient cultures and trying, like, putting, like, our terminology on them. And, like, mm -hmm. especially, like, at the intersections of, of, like, patriarchy and consent and stuff like that. And so, like is a king having multiple wives? What, like, what amount of consent was there in that situation? Is that polyamory, et cetera? But there's definitely just like a lot of instances of non-monogamy in the Bible. Um, and so I'm always confused when people, this, this one gay, gay person actually was like, I can't believe you're saying this. Like the Bible is like so clearly, like I followed you because like the Bible's not anti-gay, but it's definitely anti-polyamory. And I was like, I, what? <laughs> I think the Bible is probably like more, you can make, it's easier for me to make a case of the Bible as anti-gay than it is for me to make a case of the Bible as anti-non-monogamy. And so most people's objections come down to just this idea that like, that's just like, of course, not the way it's supposed to be. Uh, and so, I mean, they'll point to like Adam and Eve being like two people. Everyone loves to point to Adam and Eve for all the prejudices. Right. Because <laughs> like, that worked out so great. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they'll be like, well, both the point to Adam and Eve are this idea of like becoming one flesh, which actually in our Christianity and polyamory, like course, we talk about, we talk about becoming one flesh and how that can be like a really beautiful metaphor, but doesn't necessarily mean that you can't become one flesh with multiple people. Um, so they just sort of like point to a few examples of, of places where there were couples or like a two person marriage to be like, look, clearly this is the way that it should be. Um, and there's less examples of like specifically like anti 
like polyamory anti non-monogamy versus it's more sort of like they try to point to an absence of it saying like explicitly like it's okay to be polyamorous <laughs> go so, for it yeah uh-huh. um the lord said go out and hook up with people um yeah can you explain some of the differences we kind of chatted about this uh pre-show can you explain for listeners that might not really understand what we're talking about i didn't even think about that can you explain exactly what polyamory is sure so polyamory comes from the greek and latin roots poly and amorous so like many loves and it's sort of the idea that you can be in love with multiple people sort of as like in contrast to monogamy which is a focus on one and so polyamory fits under sort of the umbrella of what we might call ethical non-monogamy so any forms of not monogamy that are ethical (laughs) and so that might include like an open relationship where you're like have one person that you're like in a romantic relationship, but you can have like sex- other sexual partners. Um, that might involve swinging, which tends to be like a more straight folks use this, um, where it's like couples will go out either to parties or like meet on websites and swing, like hook up sexually with other married heterosexual couples also kind of like life swapping. Um, or polyamory, which is a bit more choose your own adventure. Like there's lots of different ways to structure polyamory. So you might have just like one primary partner. You might have like multiple partners, like being a throuple. It might, you might be, have more of an emphasis on dating or more of an emphasis on sex. And you might, you could even be single, but still consider yourself polyamorous, sort of like be dating multiple people. And so even under polyamory, that could be sort of an umbrella term. But so I... I describe myself as both in an open relationship and also polyamorous and sometimes more polyamorous and sometimes more, <laughs> more open. Um, but just sort of the idea that um, you sort of allow every relationship to be defined sort of on its own and that your love or your sexual connection with someone doesn't take away from your love or your sexual connection or commitment to someone else. And uh, do you, you do relationship coaching, correct? I do, yeah. Mm-hmm. And in your coaching, do you primarily work with people who are uh, poly or open, or are you working with all sorts of clientele? I, yeah, I work with mostly people that are interested in, mostly queer people who are interested in um, an open or polyamorous relationship is sort of my core demographic. And then sometimes I'll work with queer folks that are just like interested in relationships. And like very occasionally straight people that are <laughs> interested in polyamory open relationships. But I think that like straight people have surprisingly almost all of the resources out there for like open and polyamorous relationships are, I don't want to say like buy and force trade people because I know that people who make them are like not LGB, not like are sometimes LGBT or like not, not straight, but they're tend to be focused around people in quote-unquote like opposite gender relationships and so like maybe there's like a bi woman and they're even a bi guy in there but they're like primarily dating people of the opposite gender um and so I've, the non-monogamy world is surprisingly surprisingly at least not queer it might be a little bi but it's like not particularly queer and so i'm trying to to queer it up a little bit mm. That's very, uh, that's interesting that you pointed out because I totally see that and I understand that. But then it also brings up this question of like, 
is that partially because, uh, no offense to anybody out there, I am a queer man, so I can totally say this. It is kind of a part of like our culture yeah. as queer people. <laughs> um, I mean, personally, I'm in a monogamous marriage, and so it's not necessarily part of like my culture now. Um, but mm-hmm. I would say just like queer culture in general, I feel like there's this natural um, openness or like flirtiness and we kind of get beat up for it sometimes. Like we just yeah. take the heat. People are like, yeah, yeah, gay men, they're just sexual. But um, do you think that's part of the reason why it's not really like, here's a tip or here's a blog about it? Yeah, I think so. And I, cause I remember when I was like considering opening up my relationship, I was reading The Ethical Slot which is sort of like one of the big Bibles of, <laughs> of open relationships, if you will. And there was even this section on sort of like, like communities that you can turn to for inspiration in your like non-monogamy. And it was like gay bisexual men. Like they just like, they're so good at open relationships and they're just like always been doing it. And so you should like, like find a gay person to, to learn from. And I remember reading that and being like, well, yeah, that is kind of true. And also, there's like something about that section that said to me, like, well, this book is like talking about me, but maybe like not written for me. Uh, and also, like, I don't just like magically know how to do open relationships well because I happen to be a gay man. And so, I, what I, my experience has been is that like, there's definitely sort of like a, like a sluttiness and a sex positivityness that is like, ha- it's historically a part of queer culture and, and, and gay male culture. And that as we sort of like over the past few decades have been trying to figure out how to get more rights, there's been sort of this like how to, like what do we do with that? And a lot of these conversations happened before like you or I were even born, like, like what to trade off in terms of like sexuality and like respectability. And so my experience has been that like, there's a lot of desire to do this, but not a lot of like role models on how to do it well, or people want this, but feel shame for wanting it. Or it's like, think that their like sluttiness is something that they have to like leave behind to get like gay married and sort of like have the white picket fence and get, like go to the HRC gala or whatever. And so I found a lot of people reach out to me who would say like, like, who are either trying to like reconcile this like sexuality, this like sexualness that they like don't feel like there is a place for in like respectable gay relationships or who have been like, oh, I, everyone that I look, when I, try and, when I try and get some help around this, they're all straight people talking about this. And so this is the first time I've like seen like a gay guy talking about gay relationships in the context of like, open relationships with polyamory. So I think sort of being a Lover and Cox like possibility model has been, feels, feels important. Yeah, I, um, it's so interesting to hear, hear you say the phrase uh, gay married. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I was like, oh, is that what I am now? I guess it is. Uh, it's an interesting concept. Yeah, because, I mean, sorry, go ahead. No, it's okay. I was just going to say it's uh, interesting to me because um, here I am like, oh, yeah, it's totally part of our culture. Like, it's what we do. And then I'm like, but I'm a monogamous, married, gay married man. <laughs> so I guess not really. It's just. I never really considered how much people have like fought for this right to be monogamous. And at the same time, I'm like, Oh, but it's just like a part of our culture. Mm-hmm. It's just interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think like, and I, 
I think that like marriage like can be a really like lovely thing for people. I'm definitely like pro whatever you want, <laughs> pro whatever you want to do. Um, at what I, it's like sad for me is when people feel like they have to be a certain way in order to access that. And like, like part of that is like just the way, like the way things are like, you can be married, like legally married, but not monogamous, but like the legal structure doesn't necessarily like recognize that. And you can't be like legally married to multiple people. And so like, there is some amount of like trading off in order to enter legal marriage. Um, but even more so for me is this idea is when people feel like in order to have their marriage like respected or to like be sort of like the right type of gay person they it needs to like look a certain way and so i'm all for queer folks like queering marriage and entering it into it like in an intentional sort of way and being able to like bring your whole self to it and coming coming from a place of like positivity and power rather than like oh there's this like part of me that i like feel like i have to like leave behind or 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 suppress in order to be worthy of a like mm. quote unquote like real relationship so as a relationship coach, if someone's yeah. listening to this and they're like, oh, they're kind of like listening to it in the privacy of their room, they're like locked their door, they're mm-hmm. looking for some insight on, I'm interested in polyamory, I kind of want to open my relationship. What's kind of that first go-to piece of advice that you would have for somebody? Oh, that is a good question. So I have a whole playlist on my YouTube channel about like exploring is an open relationship right for me. And so I, I think that my first piece would be to look at like where that's coming from and are you, I guess like for, it depends on if you're like single or if you're already in a relationship, but if you're in a relationship already, like are you trying to like fix something or escape something in your relationship? And thinking like, oh, well, if I can just like open it up, like maybe he won't leave. Like, I think he's like checking out and walking out the door. And so like, maybe if I open it up, we don't have to like work on our commitment or our trust. I can like this, this will fix it. Right. Um, Or is it coming from a place of like, we've got a solid relationship. And I think that this would be like, this would enhance it or this would be exciting or I don't want to like limit it. It would come from a place of love. And so I think coming from a, a, a solid place a place of possibility rather than coming from a place of like fear and scarcity is going to set you on the right course and which is not to say that you like can't do it the other way (laughs) but just like (laughs) to be aware like if you've got like if you're worried that he's cheating on you there's like some trust issues that you also need to work on in addition to opening up your relationship because your trust can still be violated in an open relationship for instance and so um, sort of like getting clear on the underlying reasons and or like or if your partner wants it and you are you definitely don't want to but you are you know worried about losing him and so you're just gonna like say yes right away is probably not a great reason to do it but if you can if he's willing to go slow for you and so that you can explore like what are your resistances like is it coming from a place of like shame or these like these tapes in your head about the way the relationships are supposed to work or fear and can we address some of those so that opening up your relationship feels like a empowering and exciting thing for you rather than like a, well, I have to do this. Otherwise I'm going to lose him. We don't, we don't, we don't want it to come from there. Mm. 
And what about people who are specifically struggling with it because of their religious or spiritual upbringing? Like what, what would you say is kind of like that, that first thing that comes to mind when you encounter people struggling that way? Yeah, it's, so it's a lot of like self-work. So like looking at like, what are the thoughts in your head that are leading you to these, these like feelings or these ideas about the way relationships are supposed to be? Um, in, in queer theology, in, in our faithful sexuality course and in our polyamory Christianity course, we have this exercise on sort of developing your own sexual ethic that is informed by your faith and your spirituality, but not just sort of like inherited from what your youth pastor told you. Um, and so like looking at like the voices in your head that like inform your ideas about sex and relationships and then like looking to your community, um, like a Christian community, but also sort of like a queer community and like what are sort of like the rituals of that community and tapping into like, what do you at the end of the day really like truly believe and value and then how can that be expressed relationally and sort of like working on telling new stories about relationships and choosing like looking at the like the facts of it um, and also the feelings of it and saying like I'm going to honor this or I trust that or I don't trust that and it's it's not like a very rarely is it like a light switch like oh you just like read you like read this like one book or you like hear this one argument and then you're like oh it all makes sense now it's sort of like slowly peeling the layers of the of the onion back to sort of work through work through like your shame and your preconceived notions about really relationships and then also to proactively like add on like new and new like ideas and stories and examples of, of success and possibility ask a lot of questions read a lot of books do a lot of journaling yeah. Yeah. And then also the, the truth is like, depending on the way that you practice your faith and in particular Christianity, like if you go to some churches, like being openly non-monogamous will be very difficult and will be a source of like ongoing stress for you because like they're not going to get it and they're not going to approve of it. And so you have to like decide like, is it worth it? Should I, like, do I need to like find a new church? And people understandably get really attached to their church communities. And also, like, if your church is anti-gay and anti-women, like, maybe don't be a queer polyamorous person there, even if they have, like, a really cool band. <laughs> yeah. Like, or you have a lot of friends there who like you very conditionally, you know, um, which is, I think, hard to recognize that, like, the places that have been really meaningful to us, maybe they don't actually value us fully as full people or that we can't be our full selves there. And so like making ourselves small so that we can stay there so that we can not ruin the image that we have of this place that means a lot to us. Is that, like I understand that, that impulse. And also, so some of our work is also to be like, you gently, as gently as possible, like you might have to, you might have to leave or you might have to, to build a new, like to reimagine your faith in a new way because you are bigger than this already and it's, it's holding you back. And that is a scary journey that we try to walk alongside folks during. As a uh, former praise and worship leader, I'm a little offended that you said I can't pick a church based on the band, <laughs> but it's fine. Um, I think what's really cool is that um, on Queer Theology, you guys offer kind of this, this space, I think, 
where if people do have to leave their non-affirming church, if they have to kind of take this new journey, they have somewhere that they can still go and mm-hmm. like hear a good word. Um, how is that? Do you find that like people do stumble across you in those moments or is it kind of just people? Yeah, we, we have people who, who say like, I, uh, I don't have a church that I can go to near me that's affirming. And so I listen to your podcast every Sunday um, or who join our online community sanctuary collective. That's sort of like, as they're like looking to like, they're realizing that the community that they're part of in real life isn't, isn't feeding them, isn't working for them anymore, but they have not yet found like the next place for in person for them. And so they come be a part of our online community to sort of be fed while they're sort of like letting go of their old community and deconstructing their faith and reconstructing a new faith. And then some folks are like, okay, like I needed you to help me deconstruct and reconstruct and to leave this one place and find a new place. And now I found it. And so I, I don't need to be here anymore. And we're like, great. Like, yay. <laughs> like, like go be invested in an in-person community. And some folks have really awesome, like, you know, thriving communities that they found in real life, but still like to be plugged into this sort of online space. Um, so yeah, we, we find people in all sorts of places in their journey from like closeted and trying to figure it out coming out and like stuck going to the, like the homophobic church that their family also goes to, to like, I don't know what I believe anymore. I don't know if I'm a Christian. I don't believe I'm God. I don't have a church anymore to like, I've got a church. I'm like considering going to seminary to be a pastor. Or I like just like need, they need this to sort of like help me like continue leveling up. I think that a lot of the conversation around queerness in Christian circles is still focused on like, is it okay to be LGBT? Like, can we get married? Can we ordain queer people? Like changing the policies of denominations like takes a lot of time. And so even if you're like a queer person at a queer affirming church, just by like the nature of most churches in America, you're still going to get sucked into these conversations of like, is it okay? And there's going to be like random straight people there who like have questions. And so we try and cultivate this place where it's okay to be LGBTQ and Christian is the starting point, not the finish line. And we're like, it really interested in exploring like the, the synergy between Christianity and queerness and like that sort of like creating new theology and centering queerness and like being radically sex positive. And that's just like not a space that happens in most, even affirming churches because they're doing like queer theology 101 <laughs> type stuff. That totally makes sense. And you have a course coming out like right after this episode airs um, for Queer the Bible. Do you mind talking about that a little bit so people can understand what that is? Yeah, it's kind of a throwback. So the very first thing we ever did almost seven years ago was this course on how to read the Bible from a queer perspective. And I don't think we've taught it live in the past seven years. And so we're really excited um, to do that. We've We've had an evergreen version that people have gone like, so we probably have like, you know, at least a thousand folks go through it, but we're doing it live and we're adding new stuff. In. And so it's, it's looking at how to read the Bible from a queer perspective. And so like, like we said, sort of setting aside, is it okay to be LGBT and Christian starting there and looking at the ways in which like the text is already queer, both in terms of a like gender sexuality queerness, but also in this other definition of queerness that is sort of like, this like a radical embrace of the other and the more like political understanding of queer. So even looking at things like, for instance, 
um, the genealogy of Jesus in the, in the beginning of Matthew, there's like this like really boring, like so-and-so was the like bagat so-and-so and so-and-so was the yeah. father of so-and-so. And it goes like on and on and on and on. And it's like super dry and dull. But embedded in all of that are these like, these like women who are named who are like known to be sort of like marked by sexual scandal. And so like looking at what to us looks just like this, like this dry genealogy is actually sort of like naming, naming and claiming that like God, who we say like is God incarnate, it comes from a lineage that includes like women who have been deemed sexually scandalous. And we're like, not gonna sweep that under the rug, but we're gonna say like, in order to understand God, you have to understand these like sexually scandalous like women. And that like <laughs> changes everything, you just, right? Yeah, you just blew my mind. Head explosion emoji is gonna be the title of this episode. Yeah, so that's, there's like shit like that all throughout the Bible, um, both when it comes to like sex and gender and, and, and bodies. Um, and scandal, and looking at, like, empire and politics. And so both, like, sort of, like, looking for the ways in which queerness and sexuality is sort of embedded in the text. And then also looking at the, like, exploring connections and, like, telling new stories about the stories of the Bible. So, you know, like, one of the things that, like, rabbis throughout the ages have done, including Jesus, is, like, talking, like, using parables or, like, pointing back to another part of the scripture and saying like putting sort of like their own spin on it for like the current day. So like, that's like something Jesus did like with the Hebrew scriptures. And it's like something that like we can do with our scriptures. And so like looking at understanding the historical context of say Palm Sunday as this like political protest, which folks like might or might know, I actually have a video about like Palm Sunday being political. Um, and sort of like, how can we understand Palm Sunday more fully if we looked at, for instance, like the ACT UP demonstrations around like AIDS activism and um, sort of like nonviolent confrontation. So sort of when, if, if Palm Sunday is like an ACT UP protest, that like makes it more alive, I think for mm-hmm. folks. Um, and then also sort of like, imbues our sort of like queer activism with a like an even greater sense of, of purpose. And so sort of like finding those like parallels and connections. Um, I made a video about Fire Island being like a queer sacred site and comparing like tea, which is like going getting drinks to like communion and worship and sort of like walking along the boardwalks as sort of like a walking meditation. So like finding ways to sort of like integrate queerness and, and spirituality. So mm. we're going to dive into all of that and, and both like, teach people like the work that we've done and the connections that we've made in the stories to sort of like be inspired and then like see themselves in those stories and then also work with folks to like tell their own spiritual stories like um we're so we're recording this on transgender day of visibility shay released a video about like seeing his like transgender body and his like transgender scars and the story of doubting Thomas um, and how that sort of like shifted things for him. It's like, I could never come up with that story because I'm not trans. I don't have scars, but like hearing Shay talk about that enriches me. And so there's like something that you at home listening to, like you have some aspect of queerness that we like need you to bring to the story of spirituality so that we can sort of all be enriched by it. So there's like, there's like some story that only you have inside of you 
to tell. And so we're going to be helping people tell their own stories as well. I love that. I love a good story. I love a good truth telling. Oh my gosh. It's like my favorite thing. Yeah. Um, and then one last quick thing before we wrap up, you also are um, doing a Christianity and polyamory online workshop at some point. Yeah. Um, by the time this airs, I don't know when the date is, so it could already be happening. It could be coming soon. It will probably be coming soon by the time this airs. Um, Christianity and polyamory has always been our sort of our most popular <laughs> um, offering, I think. And so um, we, there's just like so much to do at Queer Theology and so much to talk about. So we're putting together a sort of an on-demand workshop about Christianity polyamory so that no matter when you're listening to this, you can access it. You don't have to wait until like when we do our next thing, like in a year from now. Um, and so that will, depending on when you're listening to this, either be coming soon or will be available for you now. Um, and if you go to careertheology.com slash polyamory, you can either like sign up to find out about it when it comes out or it'll just be there waiting for you <laughs> when you get there. Cool. I'm yeah. super excited to look at both of those just because I think it's always great to like understand it and learn it. Even if it's us, even for I mean, the reason I'm saying this is for even people who are not Christian or who are not polyamorous or who don't identify as queer. I think that the information that you share is still so um, enlightening in a way that it just helps us understand more and different walks of life that ultimately just make you a nicer person. <laughs> like, yeah, totally. You know what I mean? Just like yeah. recognize that there are people different than you. So, yeah, totally. Um, all right. My favorite way to wrap up the show is just by asking you if you could take your entire experience, spiritual, queer, whatever it may be, and boil it down into one piece of advice. What do you think that that piece of advice would be for the listeners? Oh, I think it would be to take the time to know yourself and then live boldly. Mm. That was so short and sweet. I love that. No explanation needed. Yeah. <laughs> Straight to the point. I love that. Yeah. Um, and so if people want to learn more from you, become your new best friend, follow you on social media, what is the best way for them to do that? Yeah, so you can follow me. I am at thisisbgm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can also follow Queer Theology. Uh, it's, you can just like search Queer Theology on any of the platforms, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Um, we're at Q Theology is our sort of shorthand on Twitter and Facebook. Um, or queertheology.com and the queer how to read the bible queerly course information will be at queertheology.com slash queer bible all right thank you so much again for all of the information you shared today i am looking forward to getting it out in the world and hearing the feedback i know it's going to be great um, yeah thank you so much for having me <laughs> of course i hope to talk to you again soon yeah absolutely talk to you soon All right, all right. That was my conversation with Brian G. Murphy. Thank you again, Brian, for being a part of the show and sharing your story. I know that the work you are doing is changing and saving lives, so I cannot thank you enough. To check out more of Brian's work, you can find him and his business partner, Shay, at Queer Theology. And you can also check out all of the links I've included in the show notes below to do some more work with them. While you're out there clicking around on the internet, take some time to follow me on Instagram at The Diviner Life or head to thedivinerlife.com slash podcast to learn how you can become a patron of the show today. 
As I mentioned before, season three is right around the corner and you could be one of the first to get access to my new exclusive content. So again, that's thedivinerlife.com slash podcast. Thank you for listening. Remember to share with your friends, your lovers, your polyam fam, and whoever else you come in contact with today. Don't forget that I love you. I appreciate you. And until next time, be true, be you, be ominous.